this morning um, for our our family Sunday. Thank you, Terry. For our family Sunday, um, I, I I wanted to start the message off uh, with uh, it, it's it's an announcement. It's not an announcement. Most of y'all probably already know this. Uh, several months ago, um, we were uh, we we found. The, the candidate, the guy, the person, the family um, to fill our, our leadership role in our Spanish ministry. And um, it took uh, several months to actually get him here because there were some visa issues that we had to um, take care of. And um, those have come through, they've been taken care of. And um, Josias and his family moved down here about two weeks ago. Um, last Sunday, um, he preached his uh, first sermon as Spanish minister up the hill. Um, and so that was exciting. And I know that's been good for our Spanish congregation up the hill. Um, and they're excited to be able to move in this next chapter um, and, uh, and, and how, you know, where that's going to go. Um, and we're excited for that. Um, it's been a long time coming. Um, that role has been relatively vacant for a year and a half. Um, we've had some um, great guest preachers come in. We've had some guys on the, you know, in our church that have helped fill that pulpit. Um, we we had a, an interim um, that's been filling that role for about the last um, seven or eight, nine months. Um, but it's it's good to finally have Hoseas and his family here um, and um, ready to get in and get to work. I, I, I I'm so convinced that this is such a, a, a vital role for the the vision of the church. Um, and where God is leading us as a church. And I know this is something that, you know, Beulah started eight years ago or so um, with Iglesia Beulah um, and um, just moving through the years. But I'm really convinced that uh, there's an even bigger, God has an even bigger plan for that part of our church than what we've even, you know, scratched the, the surface of. Um, and um, that's, that's going to be a huge part of our church going forward. By the way, when, when we first presented this earlier this year, I said to the church, I said, this is not somebody who is coming just to minister to um, Hispanic people. In the same way that I am um, a, a pastor over both English-speaking and Spanish-speaking people, um, he as well serves in the same capacity. And so um, some of you that come on Wednesday, you've noticed he is teaching an adult Bible study group on Wednesdays. Um, so you've already met him um, through that. And um, we've heard some great feedback, by the way, um, over that as well. You ought to come Wednesday night, six o'clock. And um, if nothing else, just to get to know him and, and his family. Um, but uh, I know it'd be encouraging and, and instructional for you as well. Um, but that, that has such a key role as, as our church moves forward. And, um, you know, the, the community around us changed. We couldn't control that. Um, and it's not just a Spanish thing. It, I mean, the, the whole community is just different. Atlanta continues to spread out this way. And as the community changed, we realized as a church, we need to adapt as a church to what's around us. That's why we, I say this, we're all missionaries. We're all on mission for the Lord. We all always should have been that way but it, even more so now than ever before. And so when, when we look at, at um, our church and this particular component of it, uh, this is such a, a key uh, direction in trying to reach the people around us. Um, and so I just wanted to encourage you, if, if you're part of the English-speaking part of Beulah, um, I, I want to encourage you, you pray over this 
this ministry of ours or, or ministry of the church, this camp, we call it a campus, um, you, you pray over this because, I mean, this is really a special thing. Um, the funny thing is the way, the way that we're doing this, there's no blueprint for it. Um, there's not really any other churches doing it the way that we're doing this, um, or at least very few. Um, but this is a partnership for the greater good. Uh, we, we believe this, I believe this, that we will do better as a church of reaching all people by working together with people that don't look like us or have the same background as us. And uh, so that's what, that's what this is all about. So anyway, Hoseas, come on up. He's going to um, read our scripture this morning in Spanish. Um, since we've started doing these family Sundays this way this year, one of the things that um, I've found um, important and key is um, trying to do as much as we can in Spanish from the stage. Um, I know sometimes we don't do as well as I'd like to, but we're, we're, we're trying in this process. Um, and so I wanted him to read the passage this morning. It comes from Joel chapter 2. He's going to read that in Spanish, and then I'll come behind him and read it in English. But um, this is Hoseas. Um, isn't it, isn't it awesome to finally have him here? Y'all give him a hand. Um, I'm excited to uh, have you here. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, unfortunately, he has a sense of humor like I do, so that's not going to be good. Y'all just bear with us. Um, but uh, he's going to read this, and I'm going to ask you, um, if you will, to pray um, over the rest of the service. Um, and if you can do that, I didn't, now this I'm springing on him. We're going to see how good he is on the fly. Um, if you can pray in both English and Spanish, I'm sure that would be good for our people. Okay. All right. He says, okay, go ahead. Y después de esto, derramaré mi espíritu sobre toda carne y profetizarán vuestros hijos y vuestras hijas. Vuestros ancianos soñarán sueños y vuestros jóvenes verán visiones. Y también sobre los siervos y sobre las siervas derramaré mi espíritu en aquellos días y daré prodigios en el cielo y en la tierra. Sangre y fuego y columnas de humo El sol se convertirá en tinieblas Y la luna en sangre Antes que venga el día grande y espantoso de Jehová Y todo aquel que invocare el nombre de Jehová Será salvo Porque en el, porque en el monte de Sion y en Jerusalén Habrá salvación Como ha dicho Jehová y entre el remanente al cual él habrá llamado. Let us pray. Padre eterno y Dios todopoderoso, Heavenly Father. Gracias por tu amor y tu misericordia. Thank you for your mercies and your love. Gracias porque moriste en la cruz del Calvario. Thank you because you died on the cross. Gracias porque nos diste una esperanza. Thank you because you gave us a hope. Y ahora nos presentamos delante de ti, Señor, para escuchar tu palabra. And now we hear before you, God, to hear your voice. Usa a mi hermano Stephen. Use my brother Stephen. Prepara nuestros corazones. Get our hearts ready para recibir tu palabra y ser transformados. To receive your word and be transformed. Y no solamente quedarnos con la emoción del cambio. And not only to keep the joy of the change. Sino aplicar la palabra a nuestras vidas. But to apply what is going to be said to us through our lives. Para que tu nombre sea glorificado. So that your name can be glorified. 
En tu nombre oramos. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Hoseas. He read from Joel chapter 2 this morning, continuing uh, our series that we've been in, um, in the Valley of Decision, in Joel chapter 2. This is an interesting passage because this morning, what we're going to read, the, the, um, the handful of verses we're going to read were the, the opening um, illustration or opening uh, point of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter 2. In fact, what, we, what we're about to read, Peter essentially quotes, of course it's in a different language, but he quotes um, the, this entire passage that we read and um, he calls that day, the day of Pentecost, as the fulfillment of what Joel is speaking here um, in, in Joel chapter 2. So let's read together Joel 2 verse 28. He says this, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This passage was um, quoted by Peter, if, you, if you're looking for it, in Acts chapter 2. Um, you'll see beginning in verse 17, Peter quotes that passage um, and, and uses that as really the, the launching point for his entire Pentecost sermon. He said prior to that in verse number 16, he said, this is what has been said that would be fulfilled. And from that, we get the title of the message today, it will come about. It will come about. You know, when, when I look at this message, and of course, many of you have said this, this series has been very timely or very, um, you know, appropriate for the season we find ourselves in. The interesting thing about God's word is it really is always timely and it's always appropriate and it's always right for the season. Uh, but there are times where you stand back and you say, wow, that is pretty incredible that what we're studying right now impacts so much and speaks so much to exactly what we're going through today. And that reminds me of, of a, a conversation I just had actually out in the atrium a minute ago um, with one of the brothers, one, another one of the deacons, um, and he said something about, man, Christ just needs to come back. And I was like, yeah, if he came back right now, I'd be good with it. Now, I've always said this, I, I would be absolutely 100% fine. Of course, it's not up to me anyway, but I'd be great if Christ would come back right now, if he'd come back today. But if he tarries even just a moment, wouldn't it be nice to convince one more person to accept him as Savior and come with us? I mean, that's where I'm at. I think the, the goal in life is pretty singular. We're supposed to live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so we could live for him. And with that, we hope he'll return. I hope his, his return is sooner rather than later. It's, as we say often, in imminent. It's about to happen. 
It could happen at any single moment. But what we look at in this passage where he says it will come about twice, he gives that phrase, it will come about after this, it will come about in those days, it will come about. And I love the fact that we can look at scripture and we can see promises like this that give us hope for today. Do we know when it's gonna come about? Absolutely not. But we do believe without uh, any doubt, in fact, a, a core tenet of our faith is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It was something from the very beginning of the foundation of the church that they recognized as an important doctrine. That's the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like a thief in the night, he could come at any point in time, at any moment. And when he does, I think most of us are gonna be caught off guard. I think many of us are going to wish that we had done better with the time he had given us. And I think... When the, when the Lord does return, that even for some of the believers, there will be a moment of joy, but also a moment of regret because we knew we missed the opportunities we had in this life that we can't make up for when we get to heaven. That's the return of Christ, but it will come about. So we look at that, that phrase this morning, we say, what is it that's going to come about and as we study this passage, we realize Peter gave a very direct, this um, fulfillment of this passage. And uh, so um, for, for prophecy, it's always nice if we can know when and how something is fulfilled. What I think is interesting here is, I think a portion of this um, is fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, but it appears to be that much of this is still yet to be fulfilled. And we see that somewhat in the language. We see that some in the Acts record. Um, and the reality is, as is the case with much prophecy in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, some of that prophecy has um, times where it is fulfilled on small um, localized levels and other times, um, and then later it might be fulfilled again, okay? And so God gives us these prophecies to demonstrate what he's going to do and it's hard for us in many cases to interpret it. However, we can still learn from the prophecy that God gives us. So let's look at a few things that uh, we see in this passage that will come about. First one is this, the spirit of God has been poured out. The opening uh, two verses that we read discussed the spirit of God being poured out. One, um, one commentary I read said this, it said the Bible several times associates the Holy Spirit with water or describes him metaphorically as something that can be poured out. You see this in Isaiah 44, 3, Ezekiel 39, 29, Zechariah 12, 10, Romans 5, 5. I know I hit those fast. If you're looking for a reference, simulator. But the commentary continues, says this, Joel easily turned this imagery to his advantage and created a parallel between the gift of rain seen previously in chapter two and the pouring out of the spirit. Amos similarly linked the image of a famine to a lack of the word of God. That's in Amos 8.11, Amos 8.11. So when we see in Joel chapter one, that the, the um, famine and the, the uh, blessing of God is removed. And then we see in Joel chapter two, when God would return a blessing after his people called on his name and cried out to him. 
And last week we saw in Joel chapter two, the, the, the uh, return of God's blessing or the promise of it at least to God's people. And in that we saw the coming of rain, which is symbolic of God resuming his blessing on his people. So then it's no wonder to us that just following that, we would have the concept of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon all mankind. That pouring out is very much reminiscent of the rain that would come down. You see, because God's Spirit, when it is poured out in our lives, is literally like the refreshing blessing of rain in, uh, in this world on us the spirit being poured out. Now, what's fascinating is we have a very direct fulfillment of this in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the church and the Holy Spirit was poured out on those apostles and followers of Christ in the upper room. It was so dramatic. It was so, uh, so overwhelming that the people who didn't receive the Holy Spirit at, at that first, who saw it, thought that these people must be crazy drunk out of their mind. You see, because the Holy Spirit's impact in your life, if you are yielded over to him, will cause you to do things that, will look, that other people will look at and say, that's a crazy person. Doesn't mean you're acting like a lunatic, pulling your hair out, ripping your clothes, running around like a, a maniac, no. But it means, it does mean this, the Holy Spirit's influence in your life ought to change you in such a dramatic way that it makes you a not normal human being. How many of us would qualify for that? How many of us would the world look at and say, that person's different? I don't know what it is, but that person's different. And we would look back and say, it's because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. What's fascinating in this passage is that uh, Joel promises the Holy Spirit would be poured out. He says on all humanity, on all mankind. Does that mean that every single person receives the Holy Spirit? Not exactly. But what it does, reply, or what it does refer to and, and give us an idea of is the fact that no longer would it just be on that one select chosen people, the nation of Israel. It's not a national identity anymore, but our faith is a global faith. It's poured out on all people. Let me be very clear and tell you what this means. It means if you are a living, breathing human being, that you qualify to receive the Holy Spirit in your life through the salvation of Jesus Christ. It means this, that Jesus didn't just die for the Israelites or the people that were of the same nationality that he had when he was on this earth. It means that Jesus died for all of humanity and that that Holy Spirit is poured out upon all. A major theme of the New Testament from Acts, about halfway through Acts, all the way through the end, is the fact that it's no longer the Jews only, but it's broken open to everybody. And praise God it is, because I'm not Jewish. And if Jesus was only the Savior of the Jewish world, I wouldn't qualify. Praise God that Jesus died for everybody. 
So we have this, this, this spirit being poured out on all mankind. But I think what, what goes even a step further than just that nationality, that national identity, is the fact that Joel specifically gives us some, some ands that help us to understand just how, um, just how expansive he is intending when he talks about the spirit being poured out on everybody. You see, because he, he specifies that neither age nor gender nor social status would prohibit you from coming to God, would prohibit the spirit from being in your life. The, the Jewish people, they lived in a, um, a type of society that was dominated by the elders. It was dominated by the men and it was dominated by those who had economic status. Now, some of you might be looking at me saying, what's changed in the world? Sometimes we look around, not much, right? There are people that dominate the world. In those days, it was very much men. The men dominated the, uh, the, the political structure. They do dominated um, the, the family structure, all of these different things. Now, I, I'm not saying that men shouldn't be the head of the household. I absolutely, completely um, agree with that. I think that's a biblical stance, but... What we want to be clear about is this. Ladies, you don't have to go through a man to get to God, unless, except for the fact that you gotta go through the man Christ Jesus. You, you see what I'm saying? And, and so here, he, he takes age out of it. He says, it's gonna go to the, um, as he says here, your sons and your daughters. That was a foreign concept for them. Then he goes next to um, the, the concept of age as well. He says, the old men will dream dreams, the young men will see visions. So it's not just the elderly in those day and age. The elderly were the ones uh, who very much dominated the social structure. In many cases today, it's still the same way. But let's be clear here. The gospel isn't just for the elderly, it's for everybody. And the spirit of God doesn't just get poured out on the elderly, it gets poured out on everybody who comes to God through Jesus Christ. And so he breaks down these barriers and then he goes to the social status as well with that because he says, even on the male and female servants. What was he doing? He's reminding the people, doesn't matter what your status here on earth is. What matters is, are you at the foot of the cross? We, we put ourselves into these hierarchies. We put ourselves in this, this food chain that we live by. And, and sometimes we think we're better than other people. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm a man. I'm better than women. Or maybe you're a woman and you're thinking I'm better than the men. By the way, the women are probably more right than the men in that. My wife laughed. I don't know what that means. Maybe because um, you, you're, you're wealthier or you're higher in the, the job structure of wherever you work. Maybe because um, your family has been more prominent in this nation. Maybe because of the color of your skin. Maybe because of your ethnic background. Shoot, let's, let's get really in, in the face of some people. You say, preacher, I think you already have. You're stepping on some toes. Maybe because you've been a part of a Christian family who for generations has been Christian, somehow you think that that puts you above others. Let me remind you, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. 
And there is no separation. Paul wrote it this way. There's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, man nor woman. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. And you want to know what that equality looks like? Broken, ruined, wretched sinners saved by grace. So even if you thought, okay, well, we're all equal at the foot of the Christ, but I bring something to the picture. You don't bring anything but your sin. And Christ takes care of that. So Spirit of God being poured out shows us. Joel describes all of these barriers, all ends of the social spectrum are affected by this. But then notice also, and I think this is interesting for us, this is where our Baptist mindset gets put out a little bit and we're not, not sure what to do with this. You got, you got three words here that really make the, uh, the, the staunch Baptist shift in their seat a little bit. Prophecy, dreams, and visions. Prophecy, dreams, and visions. You say, well, preacher, I already got a little bit stirred up and I don't know what to do with it when it just talked about the spirit being poured out, right? We, we get uncomfortable with these ideas. The prophecy, dreams, and visions, these are common ways in biblical times that God communicated with both individuals and with groups. It was not unusual to see this happen. It's interesting. Um, first of all, let me just kind of throw this here. It's interesting to me, we, we talk about this concept and we get scared because every one of us knows so many false prophets, so, knows so many of us who have lied about having dreams or visions coming from the Lord. And isn't that the truth? In fact, probably for every true prophet this world has ever seen, there may be a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 false prophets, right? So we need to be cautious and beware and ask that the Spirit gives us discernment and direction and understanding if, uh, if somebody's message is of God or not. But in this, we also understand that these are words that are common in the Bible, and that God speaks in a variety of different ways to people. In fact, if you wanna go so far, you say, well, I'm not sure that he still speaks in those three ways to people. Listen, there are Muslims on the other side of the world that are having dreams about Jesus Christ and turning to faith in him through those dreams. It's hard to deny that that's from God. If, if there's a dream that somebody is having that is turning them to have faith in Jesus Christ, it's hard to say that that's not a dream from God. So there, these, these words may be realities used in our world, first, but I would say, as, and as we get into the miracles that come in the next section of this passage too, though, understand in all the history of the world, when you look at all the miracles and all the signs and all the wonders, um, if you just take the ones in the Bible days, they, they, for the most part, just came at a handful of times. The vast majority of all the miracles in the Bible came in the life of Moses and his, uh, his uh, immediate successor, Joshua, in, in the lives of Elijah and Elisha, or in the lives of Jesus and the apostles. The vast majority of all the miracles. I'm not saying they don't happen anymore. I've seen God do miracles. But just understand, if you're the one that says, well, I need to see a miracle to make it happen, or I need to see a, a vision from God to make it happen. Listen, God's given us a lot of vision right here in this book, the Bible. But we also can't deny that God does some pretty miraculous things from time to time. And so these prophecy, dreams, and visions, probably in the very last days, we're gonna see a lot of this kind of stuff pop up. 
and probably from the devil too, all right? We beware. Prophetic preaching, we describe that as that type of preaching when the Holy Spirit uses a prophet to speak a very timely message to God's people. You say, well, wait a minute, God's not writing more of his Bible. Listen, there was prophets in the Bible whose prophecies did not make it into the Bible. The, the, the idea of a prophet speaking a prophecy doesn't necessarily mean that it's the word of God written down. There's prophets in the Old Testament. In fact, for a time, Saul was called uh, the one who was numbered amongst the prophets because the king Saul was seen and heard to have prophesied. So just understand that's not necessarily what that is. You say, what is it then? It's when God does give a message to somebody to give to another individual or a group of people that's a very timely, fitting message for those people. Oftentimes, oftentimes, it's the type of message that is calling people to repentance. Dreams and visions as well continue to be used by God. As I said, there's in the Muslim world, it is not uncommon for those that turn from Muslim to Christianity for them to recount how God gave them a very specific dream where a prophet in the dream or uh, Jesus himself appeared in the dream and said uh, to, to turn to Jesus Christ. It's almost Saul on the, on the road, right? These are exciting things. And if, if uh, God is in it, he'll make it clear that he is. The spirit being poured out. What's the, what's the lesson there? The lesson is this, that God's spirit is alive and active. He hasn't ceased working in the lives of his people. And he's trying to lead us. He's trying to direct us. He's trying to guide us. My concern is we have ignored him so much in our daily lives that we have lost the ability to even hear the frequency at which he speaks to us. I played this little video uh, the other day. In, in my, we were sitting in my living room and um, I, I came across this video and it was one of those frequency tests. And uh, it's playing and I'm not hearing anything. And all of a sudden, my wife's like, what is that terrible noise? And I said, what are you talking about? And then my kids were like, I hear it too. And it was, and then all of a sudden, I started hearing it because the frequency started real high and it was getting lower. I couldn't hear the highest frequencies that they could hear. My fear as Christians is that we have tuned out the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives so much that we can't even hear him anymore because of our deafness towards him. What a fear we ought to have of that. One person said it this way, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the church, would the church even notice his absence? God, I hope not. I hope not. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. That's a, uh, an event that is both past, to happen on the day of Pentecost, but continues to happen. As people come to faith in Jesus Christ, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in their lives. But let's look at some uh, future things that are to happen. The second point this morning is the day of the Lord is imminent. He, puts, he, sw he shifts in uh, verse number 30 to begin talking about the day of the Lord. And by the way, the things that he discusses here, even though in Joel, all of this is future tense, the things that he discusses here appear to have not yet happened. 
We don't have any record that these things happened, uh, or at least not all of them happened on the day of Pentecost. There were signs and wonders that happened in the apostolic age. But in verse 30, he says, I will display wonders in the sky and on earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So this is a talk still of a yet future event when the great and terrible day, the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. By the way, second time in Joel chapter two that the day of the Lord has been described as great and awesome. All right, And understanding um, the way that those words work, great speaks to the largeness or the, the bigness of it, right? This is a huge, monumental, historical event that will happen. Awesome, right? We use that word, we're like, hey man, it's totally awesome, that's great. Awesome ought to strike a little bit more fear in your life. It's both spectacular but also terrifying. It's a day where God will sift both the good and the evil, the righteous and the unrighteous. It's a day that ought to strike concern and even fear in our hearts. The great and awesome day of the Lord. This day is a day that's imminent. That means it's about to happen or it could happen at any single moment. There's nothing holding the Lord back from fulfilling his promise to return. And one day, God sitting in heaven, the Father, will look at the Son and say, it's time. And he will return to gather his church and he will return for judgment on this earth. Jesus came the first time to offer salvation. The second time he comes, it will not be so pretty. When he comes again, he will expect that we have had that opportunity to turn and call on his name. And those who haven't will be judged for not doing so. The signs here in the book of Joel of the coming of the day of the Lord, um, he, he gives as this. The first was these wonders or miracles in the sky and on earth. Wonders and miracles, these amazing things will happen both in the sky and on earth, he says in verse 30. That, then notice also um, that fire, that smoke, and that, that blood. The fire and the smoke remind us of God in the wilderness when his people had been rescued out of bondage in Israel. He was the pillar of fire and the column of smoke, right? Providing both protection, warmth, um, direction, all of those things in their lives. But the inclusion now of blood is a, is a reminder to us that the day of the Lord is serious, that the day of the Lord is terrifying, that the day of the Lord will bring judgment, fire, smoke, and blood. And then notice also the sun turned black and the moon turned into blood. Those two thoughts there, those two visual images, which the Bible promises not just here, but in other places, the, the sun being turned black and the moon being turned to blood, those, those concepts are, are indicative of the fact, catch this church, that when the day of the Lord comes, everything that is anticipated, expected, that brings security and, and, and um Comfort into our world will be turned upside down. You won't know what to expect because the days will be dark because the night will be filled with blood. We won't know what to expect. The up is down and down is up and everything that's in will be out and out will be in and it will be impossible because what happens on the day of the Lord is this. 
that God changes everything. The old will be done away with, the new will be ushered in. And so we've got quite a situation here. Here's what we understand. We've already established a few weeks ago in this, this series um, if you missed it, I apologize. But the day of the Lord is a day of judgment where God will both bring uh, that final deliverance for the people who follow him and the final judgment for the people who have rejected him, right? And so it's both a good thing. It's good if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's a terrible thing if you're not. So it brings both that good and that bad. It brings everything um, in that judgment, right? Right? It brings it to be. And so as we look at that concept of the day of the Lord, and I recognize that the whole book of Joel is really about this, and it all comes down to that end in Joel chapter three, where it's the valley of decision, where everything is separated, the good from the wicked, where the wheat and the tares will be separated. And on that day of the Lord, when that time or that season or that period comes, the real question comes down is, are you ready. And that brings us to our final point this morning. The deliverance of the Savior is extended. The deliverance of the Savior is extended. He says, it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be delivered. That's the promise that God gives. Two interesting things about that deliverance that I want to mention this morning. The first one is this, the, the call the call itself. In the verse I just read, it's the, the sinner, the lost, calling out on the name of the Lord. But then at the very end of the passage, the last phrase in this chapter two is everyone that God calls. Fascinating theological com, uh, uh, compilation here is the fact that for a lost sinner to come to salvation, to come deliverance, requires both God calling the sinner and the sinner calling out to God. Now, the thing about it is, is God has called out to you. God has called out to the world. He sent Jesus Christ as a demonstration of his love to die on the cross. He sent the Savior to take care of your sins. And in that, he proclaimed his gospel, his good news, his call for every sinner to come home, to turn back to him and to repent. And then the second fascinating characteristic of the deliverance in Joel chapter two is the fact that they have the name of the Lord mentioned. And it's a reminder of that verse, that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in the other verse, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, because Jesus Christ, the name is our salvation. There's a lot of things in this world that people call out to for salvation. People seek to turn to different answers for their problems. Some turn to, uh, to drugs and alcohol, spoil their life away with that. Others turn to uh, all kinds of lust and, and sinfulness and wickedness Others turn to false gods that they set up in their lives or false religions that Satan has established in this world. But there's only one name of salvation and that's Jesus Christ. This morning, here's what we're gonna do. Normally we have our 
we observe the Lord's Supper before the invitation. In fact, it was scheduled that way even up until this morning. And I asked the worship team to, to switch, inform the deacons who are going to be serving that we're going to switch the way this is. Because I think it's important this morning that we have our time of invitation. One, we give people an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord. If you're sitting here today and you're scared of the day of the Lord coming, you ought to be. If you're, if you're uh, uh, lost in your sin and unforgiven by God, you ought to be petrified of the return of the Lord. But there's hope for you because Jesus died on that cross for your sin. He died on that cross so each and every one of us could be forgiven and set free from the bondage, the slavery of our sin that holds us back. That's what Jesus did for us. God called out to you. The question is, will you call out to him? Will you turn to Jesus Christ and look for salvation? If you're, if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, I would encourage you, as soon as this invitation begins, you don't even have to wait for the invitation. You come on down front. You come right up to me and just say, Pastor, I want to be saved. And I'd love to sit down with you, get one of our altar workers to sit down with you and share with you this good news that, that I've, I've talked about this morning about Jesus dying for our sins. You turn and follow Jesus Christ. But I think for the rest of the church, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning, I'm reminded of what we're about to read in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, where the Lord's Supper is uh, prescribed for us. Paul repeats all of that. There's a, an interesting recap at the end of it that just describes this. Whosoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the, war, the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. And that sleep he's referring to is death. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And so this morning, I just want to encourage and challenge a church of this. Would you take the moment during the invitation and examine yourselves? Examine yourselves and look on the inside and say, am I worthy this morning before God to partake of the Lord's Supper? And if you're not, would you, would you spend the time, come to the altar, find somebody to, to pray with you or counsel with you. But most importantly, would you confess before the Lord God? Recently, I found out about a believer who was in, involved in some sin, living unrighteously. And it broke my heart. It always does. We hear of that. And, and there's very obviously some judgment in this person's life. If I explain the whole story to, to you, many of you probably would be scared to death and, and flock to the altar. I don't think we need to make an emotional plea like that. But rather, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, don't, don't partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily, but rather examine yourself. Come before the Lord in, in, a, in a way that is honoring and pleasing to Him with a heart that is pure and open to Him. Let Him come in and examine and stand before God in a way that is righteous and right. And so if you will, 
Stand with me, heads bowed, eyes closed.